do 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 Welcome to the 15th episode of the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. I'm your host, Joe Campbell, and today joining me are Nate Stone. What's up, everybody? And Alex Patton. Hey, what's going on? I want to apologize in advance for Alex's incredibly terrible audio quality Mm -hmm. because he's... I'm garbage person from the eighth dimension yes, yes 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 there you go i like it i like better what you did yep. there he's, he's he, reporting uh, from the eighth dimension he uh, hijacked uh the uh, flux capacitor and now he is in a mountain somewhere with uh, zombie men floating through space and lots of polygraphed uh, 80s graphics this week it was nathan's turn to pick a flick and he chose for us to watch the bizarre 1984 sci-fi action adventure cult classic the adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension Nathan, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a little intro into this movie before we get into the the main topic. Absolutely. He's a neosurgeon, a physicist, a test pilot, a martial artist, and a rock star. Buckaroo Banzai certainly seems to have a life beyond ordinary, but with a name like that, nothing is impossible. When he receives a transmission about total annihilation from a rogue band of aliens called the Red Lectoids, he and his motley crew called the Hong Kong Cavaliers, must team up once again to save the world. We might need to borrow a pair of those uh, bubble wrap uh, goggles just before we dive into this one, boys. But the question is, can we crack this watermelon open to figure out what it's all about? We'll have to tell you later. Spoiler alert, you never find out what that watermelon's all about. Exactly. Oh, yeah, you don't. No, you never do. Alex is just now realizing He's realizing that now. That's like one of the... (laughs) It just comes out of nowhere, and you're like, are we ever going to return to it? But no. Nope, that's not the movie's intention. <laughs> but before we get into our main topic, which is going to be, of course, uh, Buckaroo, Bonsai, Across the Eighth Dimension, we're going to talk about what we've watched on our own time. So, Nathan, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? What have you been watching lately? Well, uh, I was able to watch Captain Marvel. Oh. Cool. Oh, oh, I see where you're going with this. It never happened. But yeah, I, d- I did not watch that. Wait, wait. The, the punchlines that you watched Shazam, right? No, because I watched that a couple of weeks ago. We, we reviewed that already. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were making a joke because Shazam, uh, the comics, was originally Captain Marvel. Oh, so yeah, that's true. That's I don't know where you're going with that, but I was, I, I was sorely mistaken. So, so we're just now seeing the, the geek and Joe Campbell finally coming out. It's, 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 it's geek light. That is, as far as geekdom goes, that's a fairly well-known fact. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's as geek as Joe will get. So. <laughs> that's as geek as I will get. That's as geek as you'll turn get. in my geek card. All right. Uh, but no, actually, uh, I did not have enough time to actually go to the movies this week. Other thing I was actually doing actually has not been watching, but listening to a lot of stuff. So I was actually um, listening to the Empire Film Podcast. And funny enough, Joe, um, the one I was listening to just today was one on uh, Malcolm McDowell and uh, the guy talking about his uh, work on A Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick. And them just like kind of reliving behind the scenes stuff and it's actually funny how a lot of the best stuff of a clockwork orange came from malcolm mcdowell's improvising on set and joe you're a big uh stanley kubrick fan right i am a clockwork orange isn't my favorite kubrick but it's it's, a, it's kind of a fascinating movie yeah but it's just like a lot of stuff that people remember about that movie um that everyone loves like the singing in the rain segment uh you know alex doing the chewing at the very end the faces he makes all really came from uh, Malcolm McDowell's take on the character. And it's kind of funny how he was talking um, to the guy who's interviewing him saying uh, just about a week before he had no idea how to play Alex. He went to one of his uh, other director friends who read the script and he said, here's how you take this character and make him work. That scene when you go into the gymnasium to have the fight, you smile. And from there, Malcolm McDowell finally understood who Alex was and was able to bring one of the most iconic, most terrifying anti-hero villains we've ever seen enter on screen. So I was listening to that today and it was, it was kind of entertaining just to hear Malcolm McDowell um, in his you know age today and how they were talking about football and the game that was coming up. Because I guess like the, the host on the Empire Film Podcast is British and he's from Liverpool, so they bond over football a lot. Yeah, Ma- Malcolm McDowell is certainly a, a gem of an actor. Oh yeah, he certainly is. Uh, just if you look at his uh, history of just like the films he's done, it's it's quite interesting. I'll say that. Other than that, uh, 
the one thing I was uh, kind of catching up on was a, a show I actually watch. Uh, so if anyone doesn't know, I'm really into role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and this past year, I really got into this one show called Critical Role, which if anyone's not familiar, is basically a show where a bunch of voice actors play Dungeons & Dragons. So they have campaigns and they have a blast with it. And they're in their second campaign. So I was just kind of catching up with that and seeing uh, how things are going with that. And uh, it was good. Have you guys heard about this show at all? Oh yeah, I, it's like the D and D show. Yes, like it's the it's the most it's yeah it's famous. It's it's definitely has a huge following. Um, I guess you can call me a critter. That's basically the the fans of the show critters. Um, and it's not what you think it sounds like, but it's kind of cool because like this show because of how popular it is, they've gone on to produce comic books and they've gone to produce you know graphic novels and just card games like based off of these characters. And they're actually in trying to make an animated series now of this show. And they actually started Kickstarter. And I just checked today, it's at. $9.1 million. It's raised yeah. $9.1 million just online. And they still have 10 days to go, but the original initial amount they were trying to get was like, I think it was like 5 million and they're going to double that by the end of this. So that's oh, yeah. just, it's just impressive. Well, didn't they, didn't they break like a record or two? They are actually the third most impressive or the highest grossing Kickstarter campaigns that have ever happened on Kickstarter. So th they've, they've set a record now. Oh yeah. So other than that, like I, that's kind of like all I've been doing and reading. So yeah, um, Alex, why don't you tell us what you've been doing? Um, uh, not a whole lot new, but I started watching a new uh, anime series uh, from last season. So mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm a bit behind like everyone else. Uh, what, what's the season or show? If I'm pronouncing it right, uh, Kaguya-sama, Love is War. It's really good so far. I've only gotten like five episodes into it or so. Mm -hmm. But um, it's just hilarious, man. It's about um, in high school, student council president and his vice president. And they both they both love each other, but they can't tell each other that. And so it's, it, the whole the whole series so far is just mind games of them messing with each other, trying to get each other to admit it first. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, just to give some context, it, these two, it, they're boy and girl, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, we're not, we're not, it's not Yuri. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm. I. I hate. You know what? This is anime. I'm just saying. Like, depending on you, you weren't given any gender context. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, sorry for making that awkward. Continue. <laughs> no. Yeah. That. I mean, that, that. That's kind of the only thing that I've been uh, really watching, other than you know, just random YouTube and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, there is one channel on YouTube I started watching cooking stuff. Uh, Sam the Cooking Guy. And that, that's been really fun to watch. It's pretty well produced, as like a lot of the uh, you know like YouTube cooking shows are now. But um, this one's nice. Apparently the guy's out in San Diego too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and it's actually kind of a self-started uh, uh, show as well. Like he just got like a team together and they were able to produce and like fund these shows. And it's all done in his kitchen. So it's like, you know, they already have oh, yeah. the setting there and just get a person with a DSLR camera. And that was kind of how they first kickstarted all that. Yeah, and it's his stuff is his when they shoot outdoors because that's what they normally do. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, his grill, his freaking flat top, dude! Mm -hmm. I'm very jealous. That is some nice gear. He's got some nice grilling going on. Oh yeah. Mm hmm. I love that grilling. <laughs> but that's about that's about all I've been really up to as far as uh, what I watched. Still playing the division. Been listening to some new music. Been kind of over the past like few. I think weeks or so, I've been starting to get into um, Gothic Country, which is a bit of a change for from what I normally listen to. That is I've a huge digging. change because yeah, normally it's like black metal and like this, rock and weird stuff. This like is that. kind of like a, the the opposite extreme of like what you normally listen to. I'm gonna be honest, I didn't realize that Gothic Country was a thing. It is. It's yeah, uh, it's definitely more my speed than kind of like any other any of the other country genres and subgenres and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um as it tends to go a little bit more into the experimental kind of stuff. One of the bands that I've been really enjoying, uh, Woven Hand, incorporates a lot of like, um, kind of the psych like psychedelic folk and avant folk stuff. Their album that I really like, Blush Music, incorporates even like drone into it. But it's just, it's really, you know, kind of going back to what I said, it's, it's different than anything I've really listened to much before. Right now, it's just kind of like really captivating me holding my interest in just like what more to the this this genre is there and so mm -hmm. i've been kind of digging out into a little bit of other bands like slim cessna's auto club um the handsome family um a few other ones 
but it's really been uh, interesting. Nice. It makes me just want to crack a beer now and just listen to some gothic country now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Actually, I, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for the crack a beer open sound effect. Oh, well, I, I can just crack my beer a little bit more, maybe. No, no, no. 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 I already popped mine open, so. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What do you, what, what kind of drink or beverage works best for Gothic country, Alex? Um, just whiskey. Just whiskey. Okay. Straight so whiskey? Just whiskey. Ice in the glass? No. Warm or cold? I mean, it's better if it's cold, you know, slightly. You throw it in the fridge a little bit more, a little bit beforehand. Mm-hmm. Or just chill it a little. That's nice. Whatever makes it go down smooth, I'm man. Warm. Very cool. You got anything else for us, Alex? <laughs> nah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. I, I watch, among the many things that I watched this past week, I got out to see the new Pet Cemetery. Ooh, yeah. Cool. Which so. is a movie I've been generally looking forward to because I love yeah. the mm-hmm. 80s movie. Well, if anyone has not uh, seen like our previous episodes, you guys did an episode of Pet Cemetery, the first one. Yeah, we did. That was, that was a fun one to shoot. That was yeah. so much fun. Uh, the, 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 the gore effects we did for the skit in that episode were probably the most fun I've had filming anything we've done. So if, if, if anybody wants to know what I and, and Alex think of the original Pet Cemetery movie, we, mm-hmm. we have a video on that, uh, mm-hmm. Film Illiterate's Pet Cemetery out there. Needless to say, I, I don't remember how high I was in the movie in that video, but... Uh, today, I, I, I certainly look on that movie back on the way with fondness. I, I quite enjoy the original Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. and so I was looking forward to the new one. I thought it looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. And how does it hold up? It's 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 good. Borderline great at times. Borderline kind of meh at times. Mm-hmm. The it was a little disappointing in the execution. It's it, it goes for kind of a, a gritty, run of the mill modern horror look to it mm-hmm. which was disappointing especially when it comes to zelda if anybody's familiar with the the zelda plot in both the, the, the original book and the original movie the original movie zelda who's this kind of side character from the wife's past she's terrifying in the original movie and the the visuals they're, they're kind of hokey 80s effects but they're extremely effective because of how unnerving and unusual and terrifying they are mm-hmm. In this one, they have Zelda, but she's just kind of creepy zombie-esque looking. Mm-hmm. And they have a scene with a dumbwaiter where they had the potential to do something really creative and unique and terrifying. And they just go for a cheap jump scare. It was mm. disappointing because it, because it felt like it was a wasted opportunity. I'm like, like you have this character that twists her limbs around and does all this creepy stuff. And you have a dumbwaiter and you just do a jump scare. Yeah. So it, the movie was kind of disappointing in that regard, but everything with Zombie Kid as that comes into play in the second half of the movie was very well done. Mm. They do a few little twists on the original story. Everything more or less ends up the same, but the the way they get there is a little bit different. And mm-hmm. I like some of the changes that they've made for this movie. And they, they, they kind of spend more time with the dad and the kid mm-hmm. before shit gets real. And I enjoyed that. It was very... That, that was some of the most effective stuff in the movie. Okay, so it's kind of a bump up from the original as far as like bringing that element to it. Yeah, yeah, especially since, since in the original one, the third act with the stuff with the kid, I love it because it's so corny, but it, it, I'm not going to pretend that the original is effective as a scary movie in this, no. the third act. It's it's, yeah. it's just kind of goofy 80s horror filmmaking with the, yeah. you know, a little kid running around making faces. Yeah. yeah this, then... one's, this one's much more effective as an actual horror movie, and it's very creepy and unsettling. I mean, I think they're able to pull off a lot more today than what they were able to do back then. Like, you know, you're not basically substituting a, a, a stuffed dummy when he's trying to throw his little, you know, two-year-old son against the wall or anything <laughs> like that. You, you have the technology now to uh, make it look better. Which, 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 again, to be clear, I love that about the original one. I right. love how hokey it is with just yeah. throwing a doll around. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's as far as making an actual creepy atmosphere, the remake ups the ante in the third act mild recommendation the, the, the new one's decent it's a decent decent modern horror movie uh also i've been i've been working through the the marvel cinematic universe leading up to Endgame. the one mm-hmm. i'm going to talk about right now is my my hot take uh captain america the winter soldier is just an okay movie oh yeah, I, I know there. people love captain america the winter soldier oh it's 
change the game. It's a, it's a spy movie in disguise. It's different than all the other ones. Okay, everyone, calm down. Yes, it's more of a spy movie than the other ones. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it, there's not a whole lot of difference between it and the rest of the MCU. I actually blame Captain America the Winter Soldier for giving the MCU a sense of sameness from then on out. Because from then on out, all the movies kind of looked like Captain America the Winter Soldier. They all felt like it as far as the way the plots go and the way we, we build up to the villains. And it, it, it's a very good movie. I just don't put it as like my number one on the MCU list. Like I, I, I feel, I'm sounding down on it because everyone is so up on it. I'm, right. I'm, I'm like the voice of reason saying, all right, guys, it's a great movie. but Let's pull it back a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, Joe, all I have to say is hide your kids, hide your wife, because they're coming and looking for you. They're going to find you. You don't cross that line with the MCU fan, boys. I am, I am ready and, and waiting. At me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> actually, 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 interestingly enough, my favorite stuff about Captain America the Winter Soldier is all about Cap versus S.H.I.E.L.D. slash Hydra hidden within S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. I think the movie is most interesting when it's about him versus regular people. He mm-hmm. can't, because he can't just punch his way through the problem. He has to, you know, espionage ways around it. Oh, he's against a whole organization of normal people. How do you combat that? That's the interesting stuff. I think the Winter Soldier probably would have been better served if he had been cut out of this movie altogether. Mm-hmm. Because when he's in it, his scenes are great. And the emotional connection he gives to Steve Rogers is some of the best stuff in the movie. But it's inconsistent with everything else. Like when he comes in, he, he kind of interrupts an interesting movie. And he brings great elements from what feels like should be a separate movie in there. So it's like he, he's not in it enough to make it his own movie. And he's kind of ancillary to everything in the story anyway. And so whenever he comes in, I'm like, I, I love his stuff, but I feel like he should be given his own movie that doesn't have to do with this other Hydra within S.H.I.E.L.D. plot, which is interesting as a Captain America versus an organization kind of movie. Well, you see, so, that's that's why he uh, was given his other movie, uh, you know, Captain America Civil War. Yeah, which, 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 which uh, when I get to Civil War eventually, that'd be my issue with Civil War. I feel like Bucky gets the short end of the stick in the series, which mm-hmm. is odd considering that he's such a major focus on this, the second half of the MCU. Right. I, yeah. I think he's an interesting character. I think he's been somewhat mishandled as far as how he's been focused in which movies. Well, I, I think I think I think the MCU is doing great. I, I don't think there's a single bad movie in the MCU. I like them all to some degree, some more, some less. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winter Soldier is, is is a fantastic little little spy take on the uh, the MCU mm-hmm. superhero story. Uh, I just don't think it's the game changing best movie of the series that everyone else seems to think it is. Well, of course, because that's Guardians of the Galaxy, you know? Guardians of the Galaxy is up there, but it's still not my favorite. You know what? My favorite MCU movie, it it, it switches every once in a while, but uh, it it changes between Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, and Iron Man 3 are kind of my three rotating favorite MCU (laughs) movies. Uh, Joe, you're really digging your grave with this one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Iron Man 3 is the best Iron Man movie. (laughs) There is so... Oh, it's wonderful. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is a wonderful little movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and screw you all the mandarin <laughs> twist is one of the best things to happen to the mcu but anyway i'm not here to talk about iron man 3 and um, moving on so the last movie i'm going to talk about is uh in my 1986 marathon i checked out a movie called the boy in blue starring nicholas cage nice it's uh, based on the life of Ned Hanlon, the late 19th century Canadian sculler and world champion. Hanlon was one of the first scholars to successfully utilize the sliding seat. <laughs> what is a sculler? What the hell is that? It's boat <laughs> racing. It's like long, narrow boats, and you race them. What, what's Nick Cage being a Canadian? Eh? It's- <laughs> oh, my God. No, he, he he starts. I think he starts in Canada. I think he goes to the U.S. in the in the movie. I, I just actually want to reiterate. Uh, Joe showed me and Alex the poster of you know ripped Nicolas Cage just like showing off all these muscles. It does not look like his body at all. Like Nick Cage is a scrawny guy, and as much as he wants to pretend he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, that is not him. It looks like it's photoshopped. Yeah, it does. And it definitely does not look like a Prohibition era film. It looks like he's trying to be in an '80s montage film or something. Well, he he gets an '80s montage in this movie of him just like doing training for, for rowing a boat <laughs> i mean this movie isn't great by by any means but it's yeah. kind of entertaining you you get some of the best nicholas cage faces when he's rowing the boat as hard as he can he just goes you know it's just 
Oh my gosh. It's got wonderful nuggets. There's a scene in here where he's going to be arrested for running moonshine. The authorities found out where he lives and they come to his house and they hear him having wild sex in the house. And they stop and they're like, uh, should we let him finish before we go bust him? And they're like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, it, it's, it's not full-on crazy Nick Cage. Uh, no. Christopher Plummer plays the villain, by the way, in this movie. I can't quite say that the movie... I mean, the, the movie is bordering... Is, is on the border between being kind of genuinely pretty good mm. to being so bad it's good. And it's somewhere in this wonderful middle section where I'm like... You know what, if, if, if you just want to check out an obscure Nick Cage movie that you'll probably have fun with, you can do pretty well with this movie. It'll, it'll, it'll fit the bill. It's not crazy full on Nick Cage, and it's good enough that you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is actually somewhat watchable. But you also get, you know, 80s training montage with Nick Cage in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think with that, we, we'll go ahead and lead into our main discussion of the, uh, the day, the evening, the morning, whenever you happen to be listening to this. Mm-hmm. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. He's a rocker. Doctor. Don't talk on that. You never know what it might be attached to. Inventor. Activate the sound barrier. Philosopher. No matter where you go, there you are. And the only hero. Buckaroo. 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 Curse are you, bonsais! Who can save us all? Evil. You're unstoppable from the eighth dimension. Burn him! The cult sci-fi classic. Run, run! In a dimension all its own. Real life Martians landing in New Jersey. Torito. We will hire a portable beam weapon. Vaporize the whole damn planet. Not the real president's calling about is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10, or should we just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. Nathan, so this was your pick a flick movie. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and I'm gonna hand the reins over to you. And why don't you lead us through our discussion of this movie? All right. So um, if anyone is probably not familiar with uh, Buckaroo Banzai, this is a film that came out in 1984 that came from the mind of Mac Rock, who pitched this idea to uh, W.D. Richter, uh, who is known for works like Late for Dinner, and that was it. But uh, he basically came and approached him and said, I want to write a character, superhero, or just like this beyond ordinary person who is kind of like the out and out, press the accelerator to the floor, nonstop kung fu movie action hero of the 70s. So that was the inspiration for Buckaroo Banzai. And what is kind of spurred from the character that they wrote for this movie to the franchise that they were trying to build, I mean, they were basically planning on making comic books and sequels and such like that, has kind of become like an underground cult classic, which has become like, if anyone's like a a fanboy of the 80s or 80s retro pop culture, this movie kind of resides in there. It's very obscure. It has actually a lot of famous actors in it, like an early uh, Peter Weller, uh, John Lithgow, as well as Jeff Goldblum. It's a movie about that expands all genres of sci-fi that, you know, kind of just takes a very eclectic look of just pop culture in general in the 80s and just presents a bizarre and fantastic wacky world where anything can happen. So, guys, what did you think? What the hell? (laughs) What? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Literally, a little fun story. I actually saw this movie one night on TCM and... I was kind of like doing like house chores and stuff like that, but every time I'd walk away and come back and something newer and bizarre was on screen. And at one point I was like, okay, I need to stop walking away. I just need to watch what the heck is going on. And nothing made sense, but I loved it. Just the opening shot just, or the opening scene just sets it up. It goes from performing surgery to- like... Basically t- testing the sound barrier with this new yeah. like, you know, Ford uh, speed machine and- it's a souped up Ford pickup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if anyone's not familiar, Buckaroo Banzai is actually a bunch of different kind of hats. He's a neurosurgeon, but he's also like, he has his own band. Um, he's a rock singer. He's a, um, a physicist. He is a test pilot, but he's also a martial artist. There's a scene where he's actually practicing with his samurai sword, and he's in his uh, kimono robe, and it's like, this guy's a bunch of stuff. And what's even funnier, I know this doesn't, the movie doesn't really explain this, but his motley crew called the Hong Kong Cavaliers are a bunch of physicists and scientists, but they do not look the part. 
They're all just in like these retro 80s suits with the popped collars, the shades, the bleached hair. The only one that stands out is Jeff Goldplum, who's wearing a cowboy outfit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, yeah. Joe, what did you think? Because when I saw this movie, I literally thought of you. And I thought, okay, if there's anyone who's going to love this movie, it's got to be Joe. All right, Nate. I have a confession to make. You're going to hate me. Because I've actually seen this movie before. Oh, you have? Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I didn't say anything because I really wanted to talk about this movie. And mm-hmm. I wanted to give it another chance. First time I watched it was probably a, a few months ago, actually. And I kind of hated it. And thinking, this looks amazing. I, I, it, it, there's the opening crawl that tells you all about Buckaroo and how he's a neurosurgeon and an astrophysicist and he's gonna fight aliens he's going into other dimensions i'm like there's so much going on in this opening crawl i can't wait to see this movie Mm -hmm. and the movie was a a whole bunch of little disappointments that led up to just kind of a big bland experience for me because i think for me i talked about this on my my original letterbox review of it is that you know know, the the plot is incomprehensible Mm -hmm. yeah but i can i can get around that if the style is big and flashy Mm -hmm. and interesting yeah but it's 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 gray urban environments and old offices and computers and steel factories and it's like all right it's it's kind of a boring location well what about the characters maybe the characters are interesting Mm -hmm. the characters are colorful but they're not interesting to me. Yes. At least, yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like even 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 Buckaroo, you know, he's kind of a the look very, and confidence, but yeah. he's bland. Well, let's just talk about the performances, if you don't mind. We have Peter Weller, who is very deadpan and straight faced throughout the whole thing. And then you have John Lithgow, who is entertaining in itself just to watch as he's trying to he's a cartoon he's pretty much yeah. a cartoon but he's like he has this phony italian accent and he's ginger here you look at his performance it's like you can't make any sense of this guy and he's so fun to watch yeah it's like one, one of the actors went to one end of the spectrum with their characters mm-hmm. the other went to the exact opposite exactly yeah and yeah john lithgow just plays it up to the absolute max mm-hmm so I, I mean, like, like for me, the first time I watched this movie a few months ago, mm-hmm. it, it was it was like what an hour and a half long, and it felt like it was three hours long. Like it was it was interminable for me yeah. to get through because I had no idea what's going on. I didn't care about the characters, and the movie wasn't interesting to look at, mm-hmm. and I was just a big confusing bland mess. Watching it this time, and I done a little bit of research on the movie, and I, I realized that it's it's meant to feel like the middle of a series that never actually existed. Like it's meant to be, you know, the fifth Buckaroo Banzai adventure movie. And there's a whole bunch of entries that we've never seen and nothing's supposed to make any sense. And it's supposed to barrel along. So, so going in this time, I actually liked it a little bit better this time because I knew what to expect. And I think this movie has great re- rewatch value. And I think it works mm-hmm. better on multiple rewatches. In fact, on a third one, I'd probably get a lot more. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the movie's essentially satire, just, just through and through... Mm-hmm parody and satire of the, of these these old adventure serials yeah where it's, where it's like you know low budget adventure stories with colorful characters in bizarre environments yeah and there are so many hidden jokes in mm-hmm. this movie and i was kind of, kind of take, taking note at one point and i said man there are quite a few little, little verbal jabs in here that i missed the mm-hmm. first time around and i i, I appreciate that so I, th- I think i appreciate what the movie wants to be uh-huh. more than I actually appreciate the movie. So I still dislike it. I don't hate it like I used to, but right. I still kind of dislike the movie because I want to love it so much, mm-hmm. but it just never gives me anything to really be entertained by. Yeah, and, and that's actually one of the things I was looking up. Uh, there was a lot of complications on the production of this movie. Like it was made with m- not much of a budget and even at the box office, it was not well received. Um, and even just looking on set, like they were replacing cast and crew constantly. So there's a bit of an inconsistent look as well to the film. Like it keeps changing. And you're right, Joe, I actually will agree for such a huge premise as this, you'd feel like it'd be shot to that scale, but it's very reserved in how it captures visuals. Like, mm-hmm. and that I think comes from just a lot of just maybe the vision that they were trying to get across, but also just trying to translate this world onto the screen and not having the means or the people behind it. Yeah, well, uh, you even look at, look at the poster and you think, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. And you see Peter mm-hmm. Weller in the spaceships and you're like, all right, this is going to be at the very least mm-hmm. like a, a cross between Flash Gordon and Blade Runner, maybe like some, some crazy thing with, with big, mm-hmm. weird visuals. Mm-hmm. But it's most of it is people running around giving exposition that doesn't matter 
in offices and warehouses and I know, factories. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, these are the most boring locations for people to run around yelling exposition that doesn't matter because none of it makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. I agree, which is why they probably have to add little things here and there just to create some interest, like just throw a watermelon in there. The, 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 the watermelon line is great. And the watermelon line pretty much sums up the entire tone and, and mood and kind of mantra of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is it? Wait, what's, what's that doing there? Uh, I'll tell you later. And just move on to down the line. That's, that's the movie in a nutshell, as, as, as Nick Van Leeshout says about this movie. What's that name? Buckaroo. How's the patient? Oh, fine. He's doing fine. Thanks to you. But more importantly, congratulations. You drove through a mountain. I did. You drove right through a mountain the other day. You did it right after you left me with the operation. You hadn't even said anything about it. Didn't even uh, mention S- you Sydney, were going to do Sydney, it. these are my friends. This is my colleague, Dr. Sidney Zweibel, old medical friend from Columbia PNS. Howdy. Howdy there. Listen, Sydney, I'm glad you could make it because it looks like we may need an extra hand sooner than I thought. Aha, uh-huh, I see an extra hand. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about. I mean, I got your message about rendezvousing at this address. Barely had time to pack my saddlebags. Then I came here and I, I mean, could see that. Uh, well, I'm going to snoop around, make yourself at home. So this actually is a great segue into the next talking point I wanted to talk about. So uh, Joe, Alex, as I kind of mentioned, uh, the creators of Buckaroo Banzai were intending this to be kind of like an actual franchise. Like they were hoping there'd be more sequels, there'd be a comic book, you know, following for this. And do you guys think that in a way, the way this film is executed, the way it's shot, is actually to feel like it's part of a larger storyline than what we kind of get as a solo movie? Yeah, yeah, I can kind of pick that up, yeah. I mean, they obviously kind of lead into what's supposed to be the next movie at the end credits. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in the way that it does, it you know, it doesn't really sum everything up. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like, here's just an episode of mm-hmm. Buckaroo Banzai. It's the kind of thing where, yeah, you're interested in what, what the next adventure he's going to go on is and in, in the next movie or the next comic book issue. But yeah, I think it does that well. Mm-hmm. But the <laughs> I, I I think it's 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 in this weird place where it's designed from the ground up to feel like it's in the middle of a series that's already established because that's kind of the joke of the movie. Is it that is, yeah. So much established in previous entries that don't exist mm-hmm. that they just throw you into the middle of oh here's all of this right up front and the joke is that is that we haven't seen the previous entries so we have no context for them which is funny in theory but it makes it hard to attach yourself to anything and get Mm -hmm. really into the movie even though the idea is funny but then to try to build a uh franchise off of that then seems kind of counterintuitive to the joke of the movie to begin with. Yeah, and actually that's something I was kind of thinking about. I'm going to throw a reference in here. There's a, a, a YouTuber who kind of did a, a review on this, Browseheld High's uh, Cal Calgren, and he uh, reviewed this movie and how it kind of almost paved the way for this idea of the expanded universe that we see a lot out there today, like in the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe, and how those movies are shot or even set up. It's like they're trying to set up like, you know, a lot of what you're seeing is already kind of explained in a, a previous movie or a previous comic book or something like that. And the way I was thinking on how Buckaroo Banzai is executed is, you're right, Joe, it's almost like you're trying to be thrown into the middle of the storyline that's already existed. What these characters have gone through, how they met each other, how they've interacted, has already been explained in like another sequel that never really existed. And you're right, to the, the problem with that is, is it kind of falls on itself in its execution it doesn't really achieve any kind of fan base. You're expected to take all this in and it's overwhelming, especially if you have no idea who Buckaroo is, who the Hong Kong Cavaliers are, or how he's able to be a neurosurgeon and a rock star. A lot of it's kind of a lot to take in. And I think that's unfortunately the reason why it wasn't received as well when it first came out in 1984. Yeah, and I think if you're going to say that, you know, it's kind of set up the sort of like shared universe stuff that like, like you mentioned, Marvel and DC have done is... Marvel and DC have, at least for the like the major characters in in each of the movies, they do have their own separate movies that mm-hmm. explain the like, origin stories. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Iron Man, uh, Captain America, you know, mm-hmm. and that too. You're also building on pre-existing characters that a good many people already, at the very least, have an idea of. They're already familiar with them. Exactly. So those ones work because you already know what you're what you're getting. Mm-hmm. With this, it's just you have it's entirely new. You have no idea why you should really care about Buckaroo Banzai, whatever the hell his name is, and being thrown right into the middle of that, it, you know, it doesn't give you any connection. It's, it's, it's trying to manufacture a pre-established 
fan base yes. basically yeah it's it, they get because because they come in and they give you these very catchy things that a cult crowd would latch onto. oh there's jeff goldblum in the cowboy hat oh look there's the watermelon joke oh look there's the the car that goes through the through, through the eighth dimension mm-hmm. all, and, and it throws in all these things that an audience for a universe like this and for a franchise like this would say like, yeah, there's the Buckaroo Banzai and the Cavaliers on stage. You know, we love this song. The problem is that it's trying to manufacture that from the ground up within the kind of kind of the groundwork of the movie. Whereas those types of things, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that those, those, those are things you think about making a franchise going forward. But you're just jumping into the middle of, of a movie that's essentially a joke and then moving forward is saying, well, we'll just keep making more of these and hope people will mm-hmm. still latch on to these things that we have designed to be catchy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like the deconstruction of like what you should try and do for an expanded universe. Like this is what you should not do. Yeah. It's like it's, it's, it's like trying to purposely make a viral video. It's like, oh man, I'm going to make this thing specifically to become a viral video. Yeah. And we see enough of those tried to be attempted and, and failing. <laughs> yeah. So here's a bigger question for you guys. So this movie obviously didn't wasn't well received when it first came out, but as we kind of have noticed over the years, there is a huge cult following, even so much that it's been made references everywhere, especially in a more recent movie, Ready Player One. And so I'm actually kind of curious, why do you think a cult following has kind of grown from this movie? I mean, I think the visuals and what the movie presents kind of speaks for itself, but why do you think now we're noticing a huge following for this? I think it's just out there enough. It's just weird enough. It's just silly enough. It's crazy enough. And it's decent enough that people can kind of latch onto it mm-hmm. and say, you know, hey, it's not, a, it may not be a great movie, but at least it's entertaining. At least it's got something fun going on, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I think that serves well to kind of like more of a, a cult following. Yeah. And honestly, kind of like when I was watching it um, and revisiting it again for a second time, I kind of thought to myself, like, what is it about this character, Buck Rubansai, that maybe a lot of guys from the 80s kind of like resonated with? And I was just looking at how he is like all these five different hats in one. And it's almost kind of like trying to be this uh, representation of what every guy back in the 80s wanted to be. They wanted to be the smartest doctor. They wanted to be a martial art expert. They wanted to be a rock star. It's just all of those things compiled into one character. And even though it may not be the best character, he's a representation of that, of what every guy wanted to be during the 80s. And so maybe that's a big reason why there's somewhat of a following is because Buckaroo Banzai is that representation of what every 80s man wanted to be. Yeah, it's, he's all the cool 80 heroes meshed into one. Why watch a movie when when about a guy that's only a doctor or a guy that's only a martial artist when mm-hmm. you could watch a movie where there's a dude that is everything. And even having a, you know, a motley crew like the Hong Kong Cavaliers where yeah. you know, they're all physicists and, you know, chemists and uh, they're able to dress as like cowboys or, you know, 80s retro band members. It's kind of like almost like what every kids dream wanted to be back then i think i think more people are discovering it today specifically and latching onto it because they're they're seeing it referenced by the established fan base mm-hmm. that owned this movie because this is one of those movies that that a fan base really owns as mm-hmm. as their own thing because it's it's this weird little out there movie with 80s icons like mm-hmm. john lithgow and peter weller you know oh robocop's in this movie mm-hmm. and it's the sort of movie that's alienating enough that mainstream audiences won't latch onto it. Mm-hmm. I, I think for many of the reasons that I was initially turned off to it and still kind of turned off to it. But it's got enough strange little things in there that a fan base would just really eat up. You know, he, the, the suit yeah. he wears, the, the iconic status he has of being yeah. all these professions and one, the alien stuff, the eighth dimension. You got Christopher Lloyd as, as, as this creepy alien <laughs> thing there. As Mr. Big Boutte. <laughs> and and the, 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 the whole randomness of it. I think people today are finding about, about it because, again, you know, I, I saw it referenced in Ready Player One. Now, I knew that Buckaroo Banzai existed before this. Mm-hmm. But Ready Player One got me interested in it enough that I thought, you know what? I haven't seen this movie. Peter Weller's in it. Fine. I'll, I'll check it out. I should have seen this by now. And I think a lot of people are finding out about it that way it's finding a broader broader fan base mm-hmm. but I, I can't see this movie ever breaking out beyond just the cult crowd because it is such a, a difficult movie for 
people to get on its wavelength. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. you get on, if you get on its wavelength, I could see you really being on its wavelength. Yeah. But if you're not, you're just going to be totally not on board. Right. Yeah. Do you think another reason why there's such a cult following for this is because this movie, in a way, kind of acts like if there was a time capsule movie of what '80s retro pop culture looked like. Do you think this movie is a collective of that? Like, there's enough of the '80s in there to say, like, this movie represents the '80s in the way its fashion is, the themes, the storylines that they wanted to go for. Maybe not being executed to its fullest potential, but there's enough in it to say this is a real retro '80s film. To a degree, I would probably put Flash Gordon above this, though. If you said, what is a quintessential cornball 80s movie? Mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This one, I'd say this is what a a cult 80s movie looks like. But as far mm-hmm. as just what I think people have in their minds as far as what an 80s movie should look and sound like, mm-hmm. I would probably put Flash Gordon above this. And some of the other more obscure movies, uh, I, th- I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, Black Moon Rising, which was this weird little Tommy Lee Jones movie about a, a supercar in the future. That's mm-hmm. the sort of stuff that I associate with the 80s. The, mm-hmm. This one feels like it was made in the 80s to be manufactured again mm-hmm. as an 80s cult classic. It's kind of like, okay, all right, you, you have actual grindhouse films, mm-hmm. and then you have something like Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror, which mm-hmm. is made to look like what you think a, a grindhouse film should look like. And Buckaroo Banzai is made to look like what you think an obscure 80s cult film from the 80s uh, should, should look like. You know, that's a fair description of it. I'll take that. Uh, this is my impression, at least. What about you, Alex? Like, your thoughts? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, there's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty fucking 80s movie, dude. <laughs> you know, kind of going back to what I, what I mentioned in that, like, it's all the 80s heroes put into one character. Now, now that I've seen this, when I think of 80s movies, like, this is going to be one of the first ones I think of. Because it's... <laughs> It's very 80s. It's got the music. It's got mm-hmm. the fashion. It's got the weird, kind of terrible sci-fi stuff. It's got mm-hmm. s- some of the action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's got the, you know, the the cool, slick hero and his gang mm-hmm. taking down the aliens. Um, yeah, I'd say it's like a quintessential, like, look and feel of an 80s movie. I don't think it's like the quintessential 80s movie. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you go to, like, Flash Gordon, like Joe was talking about, yeah, there's enough more in that, that to actually feel like, yeah, this is what... I, I just had a thought. I just had That's a thought, it. actually. So talking about Grindhouse and, and, and comparing it to this, mm-hmm. there, there, there are two sides to, to, to the Grindhouse circuit and, the, and Grindhouse movies in general. One is the poster for the Grindhouse movie of any, mm-hmm. any sort of exploitation movie from the 80s, which, yep. which promises big explosions and sci-fi and nudity and all this mm-hmm. crazy out there stuff. And the other side is the movie itself, because the movie of the Grindhouse circuit was never as interesting as the actual poster. The, the actual movie would just be soldiers running around in the woods and maybe they go into a bunker at some point. And so if you look at Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse, uh, Tarantino's movie, Death Proof, portrays what an actual Grindhouse movie was like. So there's a lot of people sitting around talking, there's a lot of people driving around in cars. There's a mm-hmm. little bit of action in there, but for the most part, the movie is a very talky, low-budget movie. Right, which unfortunately for most like Grindhouse movies, because they had such a low budget, they they couldn't go all out with the effects. Or, right, you know. yeah. But then Robert Rodriguez's half, Planet Terror, is his attempt to replicate what the poster is selling. Mm-hmm. Planet Terror is what you wish the posters actually were advertising for the movie. So Planet Terror is like this big, explosive, effects-riddled mm-hmm. movie that no Grindhouse movie would have had the budget for. But Robert Rodriguez wanted to give you the movie the poster promised. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think you, you can make a, a, a comparison to Flash Gordon and Buckaroo Banzai. Flash mm-hmm. Gordon is the movie that sells you what's on the poster. Big effects, mm-hmm. the, these crazy visuals, great music, the Queen soundtrack. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai is the death proof in that this is what an actual 80s low sci-fi movie was, which is yeah. dudes in suits running around these... Yeah, with bubble wrap masks. And yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> For me, I'd rather watch the movie replicating what the poster is selling as opposed mm-hmm. to 
the boring movie that it actually was. No, that's a that's an interesting uh, perspective on it because you're yeah. right. I hadn't really thought about like you know the grindhouse you know uh, double feature in that kind of a sense. And you're right, Buckaroo Banzai is kind of like the the actuality of you know this this kind of B-rated you know, 80s exploitation kind of film where it doesn't live up to what the poster could be or what the title could be. It's just living up to what budget that they kind of were given. And I kind of think that despite like its shortcomings, despite like what it fails to deliver as far as a story, as far as like visuals, as far as like scope and concept. I think it's there's something very impressive about Buckaroo Banzai and how it was trying, it was bold enough to actually try to build a franchise from out of nothing. And while still making like the wrong decisions to start in the middle as opposed to be in an origin story, it has kind of, in a way, created some kind of a following, maybe not a stronger following as most shared universes has, but it, it has the foundation or the early showings like what most franchises are kind of, you know, doing nowadays. So I think it's something to kind of look back on and see, you know, here was an attempt and where it all comes from. All right. Well, guys, that was fun talking about. Um, was there any stuff else you wanted to talk about Buckaroo Banzai? No, just, uh, just final thoughts for me. I, uh, I appreciate what the movie's trying to do. And I think I see what the movie's trying to do, and I get the charm of the movie. It's just not something that, in this sense, appealed to me. And I, I honestly never thought I'd rewatch this movie just because I, I almost fell asleep the first time watching it. I was like, I don't want to have to sit through that again. But then you said you want to do it for the podcast, and I thought, you know what? I should give this movie another chance. Let's go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I, like, I'm glad I did because I caught a lot more of the jokes, just just little lines here and there that I, I, I had forgotten about and I didn't get them in context. Yep. And so I appreciate the movie and I, I'm glad it's found its following, but the movie is just not for me. All right. Uh, Alex, what about you? I think I'm kind of a bit about in the same boat as Joe's. It's mm-hmm. honestly talking about it now and like looking at it from a lot of different angles, I started to like it a little bit more. Is it something I'm, I'm ever going to watch again? Eh, hopefully not. I don't. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. That's, 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 that's optimistic. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't do it for me at all. Like, mm-hmm. the story is just, it, I you know, I like, I like stories that are a bit out there. That's fine. I'm mm-hmm. totally cool with that. But I like to have a little bit of context. I like mm-hmm. to kind of know or be able to follow what's going on. Right. With this one, you're just kind of like, Right from the get-go, here you are. You're diving into this. You don't know what's happening. What's that watermelon doing there? You'll never find out. <laughs> and that's the movie. Pretty much. Uh, that is the movie. It can be a fun time if you're into that. If you kind of just say, screw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't worry about the story. It'll all work out. Yeah, I think you can You can really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't really do it with this. Mm-hmm. It didn't have enough enough else that that really kind of pulled me in either visuals or characters or anything like that that were able to pull me in and just keep stringing me along to really make it something that i enjoyed mm-hmm. i think i think jeff goldblum's kind of one of my favorite parts of the whole series <laughs> i think his acting is actually pretty great actually i think he tries to play it the straightest actually in all of this like even though he's walking around with fur chaps and a big cowboy hat and red shirt he is playing straight Jeff Goldblum. Like he is, I don't know. I didn't see a lot of hammy moments with him. And I, you're right. He's probably one of the most entertaining characters to watch. I feel like he's, he's almost the audience. Mm -hmm. And that he's just jumped into this whole thing. And he's just like, all right, let's just try to keep up. And by the end, he's just like, I'm in it. Let's do it. And, you know, watching it by the end, you're just like, so far, you know, you know so far into the movie might as well just keep going let's let's do this thing i think yeah i think he's a good kind of representation of the audience i agree um but i I liked yeah i liked him i thought his his acting and it was good everything else was yeah yeah you're right so i think you guys brought some great perspectives to this film um i'm glad you guys kind of like watched this just because i feel like there's stuff about this that does kind of resonate with the 80s and the nostalgia factor to it and as much as like want to like it, I, I'm I'm kind of in half and half about it. I think there is enough entertainment value to watch it and say, what the heck am I watching? And kind of gain a joy out of that. But you're right. The, the storyline is very loose and there's a lot of holes in it and nothing really kind of holds on itself. 
But if anything, in my opinion, I think it's just a great time capsule movie of like, you can look back and say, this is what most guys or what guys tried to say was cool about the 80s and cool about being a dude living in the 80s. And I just think it's fascinating that, you know, years from its first release, people are still kind of talking about it. There is a cult following and it, it has kind of paved the way of like what not to do when trying to make an expanded universe or an expanded narrative form. And I think a lot of people have learned from that and realized, okay, if even if you are trying to start somewhere in the middle, you need to at least have some kind of a foundation or an origin story. And if you have the watermelon in the film, be sure to explain what it's all about. Yeah, I think one other thing is whether you like or dislike the movie, I think mm-hmm. you kind of have to admit it did something well. It did yeah. something right in order mm-hmm. for it to actually have a cult following mm-hmm. so, you know, so far until now. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that'll, that'll cap off our discussion of Buckaroo Banzai's Adventures in the Eighth Dimension. So when are we going to actually watch the Buckaroo Banzai against the World uh, Crime The squad? World Crime League? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, probably never. Actually, I'm going to admit that's actually my favorite part of the whole film is the end credit sequence. You know, if that was actually a movie, I would probably see it just to see what the hell happens. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to lie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely see a sequel to this. Uh, just yeah. Maybe not, 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 not liking the movie in general. Oh, would, yeah. It would come back for more. Alrighty. Well, that'll, that'll finish us off for this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at filmilliterates at gmail.com. You can find us at filmliterates.com. I'm on Twitter, filmliterates. You can also find me on Letterboxd at filmliterates. Just search filmliterates anywhere mm-hmm. on any social media platform. You'll find us. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me also on Letterboxd under Alex Patton. Uh, Twitter at Alex D. Patton. And then um, I am also on Rate Your Music if you want to check out what I've been, what I'm something listening to what i've been digging into um i want to write your music under half scrim h-a-l-f-s-c-r-i-m nate uh you can find me on instagram at uh, nathan underscore stone underscore films um i'm also here on film alerts doing these podcasts with both alex and joe and that is it that's it that's that that's cool. that's all that's all wrote. i wrote that's all i wrote i'm out <laughs> And we'll we'll see you guys in the next episode. Have we decided what our next episode is yet? I don't remember. No. We'll figure it out. We'll figure, we'll figure it, out. it out. Catch you for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> come back. Come back again. We'll be here for another episode. Yes. We'll we'll entertain you. In the meantime, uh, keep watching movies and keep it easy. Bye.